Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of High Pay with me, Cristalina, as your host. Today we have Bokani. Bokani is a Zimbabwean British artist and makes abstract paintings as well as digital installations. Bokani won the BBC Big Painting Challenge. She studied at the University of Bath and Goldsmiths College. Her studio is based in East London in England. Let's welcome Bokani. Hello, Bokani, and welcome to Hype Hi. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. I'm, I'm so I'm so happy to have you here, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, you you were born and raised in Zimbabwe, is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. And um, funny enough, I have made an artwork which is a machine learning algorithm for helping people pronounce my name because <laughs> I've had everything from. Bugatti to <laughs> Bacardi. So whenever you say the wrong name, it will show you a picture of the thing that you have pronounced. And then if you say it correctly, it will show my face. <laughs> oh my so. God, I love it. I need this in my life. <laughs> Literally, my name is constantly being said in the wrong right. way. But um, right. yeah. So how did you invent that? Did you study that at, at so, University yeah, of Bath? Yeah, so um, no, that was Goldsmiths. Um, goldsmiths, so yeah. goldsmiths i did computational art so it's using code um so everything from uh, machine learning robotics physical computing video game making all to make artworks um so they teach you how to code from scratch and the analogy i always use is it was sort of like writing poetry in a language that you're learning <laughs> so you know if you're trying to make something that's elicits an emotional well at least for me that's kind of I, I care about artwork that makes you feel something that makes you want to change something so mm. trying to do that and also trying to learn the code was you know it's a challenge it's a challenge but I'm glad I'm really glad that's amazing I mean there's so many ideas for me in my head about transhumanism and right. post-humanism in my head yeah. about all of this it's so yeah. current it's such a current topic is that something that you're really interested in Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I mean, so many ways I could go <laughs> with yeah. that. Um, yeah. And the first, I think, is kind of part of why I started making art in the first place was because I was interning in this bank um, in the city in 2008. What a time to be what? in finance. Because oh, obviously gosh. I was reading politics of economics for my undergrad. I took a year out to go and work in industry. And I felt like I could leave my computer and the only way you would know that I had been alive that day was that there'd been a slight change on the spreadsheet that I was updating. And it just didn't feel to me like I'd been living, you know. Um, and I wanted to sort of make a mark, sort of have a sense of I've made a difference. I've made something beautiful. Or um, So a colleague at the time recommended, because uh, we were just across um, from Tate Modern, we were working in the city, so you just walk across the bridge and yeah. you know, Tate Modern recommended we go visit and then do a weekend like creativity is very yucky it's a bit strange now <laughs> but you know everyone has their journey um oh because I hadn't really done any painting or any artwork at school um we moved from Zimbabwe when I was 13 yeah. and um I'd had extra lessons in physics and maths as opposed to so that took out my music and, and art which is fascinating because now yeah <laughs> because now you're um, an artist yeah right and, and the most way that I was gonna 
involved in the arts at school was I used to be a cleaner after school as a part-time job. And that would help me like for maths tuition as well. And the room, my patch was also the art room. So I would have some of these conversations with the art teacher, but not really like formally being taught. Anyway, so I went on this um, uh, weekend yuppie creativity course and they gave us like Play-Doh and I was like, oh, no, I'm not five. <laughs> And again, now looking back, I'm really interested in playing. Give me the play doh. Give me no. the Lego. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and but I realized it's because I wanted to have a physical mark that was very clearly made by a person. So I started making these paintings every day, very small, sort of postcard-sized paintings that I would make every day because it was A, access to beauty that I would have every day. Um, B, it was something that I had to decide whether it was good enough, um, as opposed to this really precision-based job where if I put a percentage of a number wrong, it would affect millions on a trader's spreadsheets, you know. Um, wow. So I needed something that was very loose, but where I could judge the validity of it. But it also allowed me to mark I could have started journaling and but I couldn't always articulate how I felt so having a way of marking I was here in a mm -hmm. way that was beautiful was really an important way to start and it made me think you know when I was looking at more formal education in the arts okay I could go and do painting and sculpture and that's really what I, I applied for and then Goldsmith said in your application, you mention as a throwaway line, virtual reality. Are you serious <laughs> about that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, I guess. <laughs> so they recommended this computational masters and you could do an MFA in it. And I just thought, what? Technology is ubiquitous. Like, mm -hmm. you can't be a doctor and not use technology. You can't be a poet yeah. and not, you know. Um, and I needed to understand it in order to also critique it. But I went into it thinking, right, I'll just make paintings, but using code. And that's a really limiting way of thinking about the possibilities of um, technology in the same way that, you know, I used to think, oh, you have to make figurative pictures. And I was like, actually, for me, that's quite a limiting way of thinking about the possibilities yeah. of paint. And so, yeah, when I started thinking about it, 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 it was interesting to me how a person can interact with technology, but there's this sort of inherent divinity. I Sorry, I go straight in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. We go deep. Inherent divinity okay. in our human spirit. So uh, in our humanity, which for me, I, it's, I'm, I'm very Catholic, but I always say mm -hmm. like, liberal catholic and i can give mm -hmm. you all the disclaimers later but, it's all right. you don't have to explain yourself it's all right um I'm sure we can I, go I'm, deep though if you like the church yeah. the church does need explaining <laughs> so, oh yeah of course conflicted relationships so conflicted yeah. relationships yes um but i think what makes each of us um sort of inherently worthy of dignity and protection and value and celebration is mm -hmm. this kind of inalienable spirit which mm -hmm. I don't think technology takes away I think it can yeah. enhance and I think it can um become a new lens but um yeah that's and and I found those conversations 
during my master's really fascinating because we didn't really have like a module on the ethics of technology. And I thought that was incredibly important. Yeah. Um, And my degree piece was basically like half a crit of the fact that (laughs) we didn't have this ethics of technology component. And we sort of skirted over the fact that the materials we were using um, are mined by children in the Congo and yes, technology yes. is seductive and the things that make it seductive are the things that make us also, you know, um, are used for surveillance. And, you know, mm-hmm. so all these yeah. tensions um, were really important to explore. So I made this little robot car um, in Zimbabwe when you're a kid you know, we don't have like toy cars. So we make them out of these wires so from coat hangers, like chicken yeah. wire and all sorts. So I made that, but with a neon frame. So the car wires were all neon. And then I put robotics in there. So you could have like an infrared camera, a normal camera and control it from a phone. And I, I wanted to project back to you what the car was seeing to try and talk about the fact that it was cobalt blue because cobalt is mined in the Congo. Mm-hmm often by children and it's mm-hmm. meant to be you know the way we're coming out of the climate crisis mm-hmm. but who's being asked to pay for that new that fourth industrial revolution is still the same people and they're not being rewarded in the same way or protected in the same way um mm-hmm. so i wanted to bring all these different ideas into one work and i often try and do that with with art now is it's each work, I wanted to work on different layers and to mm-hmm. speak to topics that aren't often brought together into the same conversation because it allows for obfuscation and confusion and lack of clarity, which can be very disempowering. So I want to bring those things together because I think they're important. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating as well. I've got so many questions in my head. <laughs> um, and um and you know it's also a topic that I'm highly interested in as well I think Mm -hmm. most artists are free thinkers Mm -hmm. are open-minded people are Mm -hmm. thinking about these things about Mm -hmm. the ethics of technology um you know what's the means to the end uh Mm -hmm. solution um how are we using resources um and is it kind of almost going back to the banking industry as well where it's like an energy of I have to say suppression and uh, authority these yeah. kind of um these kind of um sort of like uh, light and shadow aspects that have to be addressed here and and it's interesting that you say that ethics isn't an element that is spoken about when 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 we're talking about technology and even ai and we're, we're seeing that already like i saw a post on i think hyper hyperallergic yeah. uh, i think it's hyperallergic <laughs> anyway um, I think it is. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah. um, where they wrote this article about some gamer who created mm-hmm. an AI uh, game where you put a headset on your head and mm-hmm. you are in a battlefield, and essentially, if you get killed in the game, you get killed in real life because you get these like um, snaps in your brain that's tech, you know, uh, connected to the headset. Yeah. And I'm just going, okay, why? I mean, I know that I know that someone is gonna create that. When whenever there's so many possibilities, this is the, this is where philosophy comes in. There's mm. so many endless possibilities of doing things and seeing the world mm. and creating things. Mm. But the ethics of it is 
thinking just because you can imagine it does it does it mean you have to actually physically execute it and create right. it right and then there's also of course this whole culture of like i've got to be the first one mm-hmm. i've got to be this new pioneer in creating this thing mm-hmm. because if i don't do it someone else is going to come along and it's this competitive me 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 um so <laughs> it you've obviously like there's so many links to as much as i can understand in my limitation about mm-hmm. you just in this conversation coming back to childhood coming back to innocence coming back to humanity um mm-hmm. and natural imagination as well um let's just go back a sec let's mm-hmm. let's go back 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 to your childhood now yeah. um your background so you're born and raised in Zimbabwe and then what mm-hmm. brought you to did you come straight to the UK when you were 13 yeah so we came straight to the UK so Um, I was adopted by my aunt and she is a nurse and so I'd lost my parents um, before I was 10 and by the the time they got ill I was already living with my aunt um, and her daughter so I often refer to my sister uh, as Mm -hmm. my cousin and um, my aunt used to come to the UK to work um, sort of temporary contracts as a nurse Mm -hmm. And that would pay for my school fees in yeah. Zim. And so we'd stay with my grandmother. And um, then one of the hospitals she was working in said, look, um, you know, if you wanted to move here permanently, we can help facilitate that. So um, when we, yeah, when she moved, she was like, obviously I'm not leaving <laughs> And, yeah. um, you know, she's an extraordinary, extraordinary person. And I think when I... Um, think about how yeah what kind of gives me an example the people that I most admire like she's the first person I think mm-hmm. yeah. um and so we moved to Aylesbury which is you know very quiet nothing <laughs> it was a commuter town in the home counties um I was one of like two black girls in my year and you know we got on really well we went debating clubs and things like those together. Um, and there's a lot, you know, even in all those experiences that kind of explains why my work is, you know, quite political, um, mm-hmm. or at least I aspire for it to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I recognize that is it's little elements from both that childhood experience of loss to um, my teenage years in the UK, kind of being very free to figure out who I wanted to be. I was very lucky in that the school that I went to, although the diversity was like next to nothing, um, my head teachers and and the school had a very zero tolerance um, attitude to any ism. (laughs) So whether it was racism, xenophobia, homophobia like none of that was tolerated from teachers or students and I really had a sense of you know I'm I'm who I decide to be Um, and you know often in the conversations that we have about immigration or conversations that we have about allyship you know I think about that that I wouldn't be here if there wasn't this colonial link with Zimbabwe I speak the language that I speak because of that um, my aunt is here because there's a shortage of nurses here, but there's also a shortage of nurses in Zimbabwe, and we don't talk about that. Right. Um, 
And, you know, I think about my teacher and especially my English teacher, Mrs. Parrott, who is amazing. And she, you know, would take me to debating competitions because she realized my parent, who is working shift work as a nurse, couldn't take me to after school debate competitions around the like around the country. So mm-hmm. allyship for me looks like not being surprised that a young African kid who's just joined your class is articulate and, mm-hmm. you know, creating the platform for them to do that and then facilitating where that's necessary for that mm-hmm. child to, you know, access things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Um, and I think about how it's in everyday lives that actually you could make a difference you don't have to wait until you're some politician or you don't yeah. you know one of the motifs that runs through my work is we're the ones we've been waiting for because yeah. of exactly that it's in your yeah, like in your life as it is you have no idea the amount that you can change by opening your eyes by being generous um by being caring um it's essentially a loving ethic really um and so I have a much more probably rosy tinted view of the world and I start from you know a place of like we've got extraordinary abundance I've experienced extraordinary love and generosity so uh, as a result a lot of my work is very I I, I call myself a maximalist (laughs) it's full of color it's full of message um I don't hold that because life has been very full and rich um, for me. And and there are things and many things that I want to change. I want to see better, but it's because I'm contrasting them to what I know is possible, which is extraordinary love and extraordinary generosity. Wow. Um, I'm so glad you're here on High Pain. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just like taking notes and yeah just receiving all of the the gifts that you're you're sharing um and absolutely and i i fully agree with you on this like you know we are the ones that um we've been waiting for uh and i always say just a reiteration of mahatma gandhi's you know um be the change that you wish to see in the world don't wait for a politician to you know just be that in life you know and if it happens to be in the crater field then amazing and um when so when was this happening when you um when you went to school in Ellsbury like what year was that I was in year nine and the so, year what was it in the 90s no 2000 2000, 2000, 2000 okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so you and... mentioned you mentioned about debating and um mm. for people not to be surprised of your articulated mm. intelligence as well yeah do you want to explore a little bit more on that yeah, I think whenever we go into spaces where perhaps people don't have as much experience or they have like prejudice of one kind or another um, about, you know, who you're going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I remember probably one of my clearest memories with my dad um, and it was my first day in primary school. I, was, I must have been about six and we'd stop to get like my favorite snack as a lunch for school that day. Mm-hmm. And I got back in the car and dad was like, you know, in our family, we don't come less than top 10. And I was, you know, I'm six years old. I'm like, whatever. I don't know that I'm dyspraxic at this point. I don't know any yeah. of that. <laughs> I just yeah. know, well, if dad thinks I'm that smart, because in Zimbabwe, they publish your your ranking at, from like the age of six, right? So oh my gosh. all your marks, all your scores, it's oh all my published. God. Oh. <laughs> so, I oh, scary. 
<laughs> so what he meant by top 10 is like there's obviously like the number one slot that you can get like if you're top of your class mm-hmm. and that was just the expectation and so that's I grew up with that as this is just the expectation and if that's the expectation it must be because I can achieve it yeah and so oftentimes I think about you know when I'm too scared to go for something is it just because my expectation is too low or have I allowed external views of myself to hinder and limit what Mm -hmm. I think you know is possible so you know this um teacher just took me as I am which is very much like let's go (laughs) you know I and I challenge things in class I love Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and my classmates were like what like what what did you live in you know and it's so cliche but people would ask of course if you lived in a mud hut and I was like well grandma the rural areas does have that but also guess what I'm familiar with cell phones as obviously mobile phones whatever um so I really um you're re-educating people's ignorance I have to say I mean and I didn't know that's the work I was doing at the time right I'm I'm 13 14 like I just think I'm having conversations at time and break time like normal kids. yeah yeah um but yeah I, I think I had an awareness that I'm aware of the world but also quite driven and of course that comes from like you lose your parents very early you from at least in my experience it was just an awareness that you have to be able to look after yourself, which is impossible, right? I was like nine at that time. So like, there's no way in which I can look after myself, but it gives you a sense of, well, you have to be able to face the world somehow. And it's a very early time to recognize that. Mm-hmm. But also it's at a time when, you know, the AIDS crisis took so many people, like a quarter of the population in Zimbabwe. So, and all around the world. And so, it's just, well, not that same proportion all around the world. Obviously, it had a, a disproportionate impact in Africa. And mm-hmm. so there's a, a, a twofold thing that happens and which, you know, come 2020, I'd experience again, where you realize that life isn't on the same level for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, again, I'm 14. And in Zimbabwe, if you said, oh, I live with my aunt, everyone immediately knew what had happened to your parents. Everybody already assumed, oh, if I'm living with my grandmother, this is why. So nobody questioned it. So when I in the UK, and all my school friends are like, you always talk about your aunt. Where are your parents? And so then having to explain that, um, mm. you know, it 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 equips you in a in a different way, maybe, to handle life. Um and yeah. Yeah, that's um yeah definitely what I'm hearing is a is a sense of self-heroism at such a young age because you know as children we look at our parents as our leaders our heroes you know Mm -hmm. usually um and then for that to be stripped away from us for whatever reason um it's like we have to then become our own parent somehow or our own hero would that be correct I mean I think 
I was very, very, very lucky in that my aunt was already in my life. You know, she, yeah. I was adopted within my family. Yeah. So okay. already there's, you know, um, a, a different advantage. Um, and I, to be adopted by a woman who's a full and clear feminist, <laughs> you know, who wants her girls to do well and... Yeah gives us that like confidence to go out into the world exactly mm-hmm. as we want to be out in the world mm-hmm. um Absolutely. so you know I, I i think i had that but i also had a, a sense and awareness of loss and i think also of the injustice of it because mm-hmm. i recognized even then that i was like well there are drugs for illnesses and you know antiretroviral and sorry antiviral um retroviral drugs mm-hmm. did exist and why weren't they being provided then? right and, and there's so there's the injustice and that's in where the 2020 come in. i saw that same thing i was gonna ask again. you yeah i was gonna yeah. ask you about pandemic as so, well like if that if if you relive some sort of ptsd with regards to yeah i mean i probably should definitely go and see her at some point in my life but Mm -hmm. you know my work my artwork has been a part of that excavation yeah and healing as well I'm sure yeah absolutely absolutely and for me it's important that I make work because in making it I'm reasserting my liveness you know like Mm -hmm. it's that existential for me um and so I was looking in 2020 at how the, I think it was 21 actually, when the vaccines were starting to get tested and they were tested in South Africa and tested in Brazil, but those countries did not then get access first, right? Like (laughs) we had four, five times the dosage in the UK. So this is something that I, you know, I explore a lot. So I have the series of works uh, called Say Their Name which I started making mm. after the murder of George Floyd and in the wake of the Black Lives Matter. Like I didn't make anything for about a month because I was just stuck, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't respond. And up until that point, I'd been making these like very um, vivid, um, vibrant, abstract paintings. Yeah, I can see you know, them. Absolutely stunning, stunning. Thank pieces. you. They're very like, uh, fluid and yeah. quite floral as well very vivid yeah. colors and they didn't feel like the right language to explore how I felt at that time and I needed something more tactile so I started working with clay on the canvas drawing into it and then painting over and then another layer of paint and then another layer um, because it needed it to feel a bit more commemorative. So I, I wrote in names of people who had either been killed by the state or by neglect. Um, and again, this idea of bringing lots of different ideas together. Um, the series called Say Their Names. Um, and I had these um, like cross crosses in there because what I wanted to suggest and, and sort of not really suggest because I'm not really very subtle. <laughs> yeah, it's quite symbolic. The cross is symbolic. Yeah, the cross is symbolic. But it, it's, it's you know I'm Catholic because missionaries came to Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. um, and my great grandmother was Catholic, and mm-hmm. mother named all her children in Latin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So 
it gives me a, a great deal of strength my faith um yeah. it's a, a a mystic practice for me I'm, yes. I'm very comfortable with that yes. but I also recognize that the church is by no means perfect institutions uh and deeply deeply flawed I mean women not being priests is something that I how yeah. are we still having this conversation in 2022 um <laughs> and it's you know it's responses even to the AIDS crisis to the abuse you know it's there's so much that needed um so I I, I hold these two conflicted tensions mm -hmm. but you know the church talks about life being important and I was like well I don't feel that's how you felt about my younger brother and my parents who died their lives mm -hmm. didn't seem that important mm -hmm. and the lives of you know people like George Floyd don't seem mm -hmm. that important until it's a crisis. Yes, and I I had um on there these like white dots um which are more like ritualistic marks to talk about how the spirituality that I practice now is Catholic, but I also have other histories and other ways of marking. Yeah, um, culturally speaking as well. Culturally speaking, yeah. And I still speak in Dabele, which is the language um, I grew up with in my hometown in Bulawayo. And I really wanted to say that all these things are related because a cross is how people would sign away land in Zimbabwe yeah. um, because they couldn't read the contract that they were signing away land to the British government. So, yeah, because it was a different language. It's a different language. Right. So that's also right. a political move as well. Hello. Completely, completely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's disempowering, and so yes. again, I wanted to have all these hints coming into it, and it's again this cobalt blue because I was like, well, now you're asking the same people to make the same sacrifices in the name of progress, in the name mm. of development, in the name of technology and innovation. And so, you know, for me, it, it, these things are all very clearly related. Um, I mean, Bell Hooks talks about like white supremacists. Mm -hmm patriarchy and capitalism all it's part of one machine and and I just felt like that nuance wasn't coming across as much it was just like this one man and this one girl you know that they could talk about me in that way and, I, and I've always said no part of the reason I make abstract work is I want you to be able to see yourself in this because you're a part of this you know mm. and um, look deeper look deeper and to look deeper and to spend yeah. more time and you know, and this commemorative aspect is because um, the economics for me are always fascinating. <laughs> and the, I'd been to them in 2016, I think. And my dad's gravestone had been stolen because it was beautiful granite stone. But because of poverty, people steal them, rub off the names and memory, and then resell them. Oh, um, <laughs> Worktops or whatever. So, you know, I started to think about artworks as having this talismanic or totemic quality um, where I'm putting part of myself into them and mm -hmm. it represents part of that vivacity. And they carry an energy with them, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm aware that, yes, I sell paintings, et cetera, but there's, there's more going on with it than mm -hmm. 
um, necessarily like Good, if that makes sense. no i totally i totally understand and i can totally relate um because i i'm i'm a mystic so i yeah. totally understand um the level of spirituality that you're you're speaking into and you know in terms of the cross it's also the symbol of, of new life as well yeah. after a lot of sacrifice and difficulties and betrayal let's be honest yeah, yeah. um and um and then of course you you have these billboards as well don't you yeah Pay black women protect black yeah. women yeah. you know promote black women is that one as well promo yeah that's women. right that's right yeah um and they were like 2021 and i just feel like anyone who's smart has already given people pay rises quietly and like yeah. bonuses because transparency is just a matter of time yeah you know and not negotiating pay and people having secret contracts who does that really yeah. serve yeah, um, yeah. You know, that disinformation, um, this economies of information is because it allows for an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. So I I wanted to really say something, you know, sometimes when you're given a platform and I made these designs and I wrote to the curator DM, <laughs> and I said, hey, yeah. I've, I've got these. What do you think? You know, I saw you've got this project. Um, I don't tend to like to wait for life to come to me. I don't think anyone's going to discover me if I'm sat quietly in my studio. So I DM'd him and he was just like, I love these. We're printing them next week. I was like, oh gosh, okay, great. Amazing. <laughs> and they look fantastic. They and Thank they are you. they have such a powerful um voice to them. And then of course you've got these, you know, the, the color of it is red, uh, and yeah. then you've got the sort of um light blue, sky blue yeah. type. Um, and then you've got this kind of um, outline of a um, Afrocentric woman. Of women, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really wanted, panel. like, I find this conflict between figuration and um, abstraction, like, really difficult. And I was like, well, if I'm going to, if you're going to have yeah. a picture of a woman that I've made, I also want you to not use it as virtual signal, virtue signaling. So this is why I made this work. This is why this visibility exists. I want my works to demand something of the viewer. I'm not comfortable with it just being like, oh, decorative or, oh, it's, you know, mm. beautiful. I think beauty has power. And I think it's good to call that beauty to a deeper beauty within the soul of a person that helps them to be more like, it's a very old fashioned word, but noble. I'm always entertained that aristocracy took it as nobility and I was like what is noble about mm-hmm. violence and the accumulation of wealth but yes <laughs> nobility nobili- yeah nobility being also very greatly inter- intertwined with uh whiteness and the purity of right, 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 right. cleanliness yeah. being the closest yeah. to godliness and right, right, all right. of and these indoctrinations yeah you know um and I, I I've had to do a lot of unlearning myself and I, I just want that to to be a bit more um, thoughtful. (laughs) So when I talk about nobility, I I think that's something that exists in all of us. And, Mm. you know, um, so like the the mirror works that I make are because I want to see, it's a, a, a cheating way of being figurative because you see yourself in the work. So there is a figure in the work, but I'm 
you know, playing with light. Um, there's a theology of light. Who did we depict as stained in stained glass windows? It was saints. Mm -hmm. And because it was shining their particular divine light out into the world. And so not only is it taking sort of abstraction to a new place, because I'm using the same pouring techniques that Frank Bowling used, mm -hmm. but I'm using it in stained glass. I'm using it on a mirrored surface. So it reflects back this light into the room, changes the architecture of the space. And, um, and as you're looking at it, I've distorted your view of yourself. I've now changed how you see yourself. And I'm hopefully saying, but look at this extraordinary person within. So a lot of your, let's say, seemingly obvious political pieces um, with the posters, they're sort of reminding me of uh, Magat Wade. She's a Senegalese leader. She's absolutely incredible. And she amplifies voices um, from and in and around and beyond Africa and how Africa is a rich and wealthy and affluent uh, continent. And uh, in order to be uh, sovereign, one can also be wealthy. And why yeah, not? You know? And I love her attitude. And she's got this amazing interview with, with Jordan Peterson about Black Lives Matter, you know, mattering, mm -hmm. mattering. <laughs> that yeah. matter. um, and also a lot of your works are also reminding me of this notion that women are no longer acting as martyrs. And then again, mm -hmm. of course, that beautiful um, sort of marriage with what you mentioned about, um, you know, just about w women being empowered and not mm. under suppression and people mm. being mm -hmm. empowered and no longer under suppression from a, from and beyond a post-colonial age as well mm -hmm. um but what let's let's go to what are you what are you working on right now then so you're still working <laughs> on paintings and posters yeah. As well. yeah yeah um so I think every now and then I have like um I respond to something that's happening in the world and the artwork comes from that. So I'm not um, an artist that sort of, although I think there is sometimes a real uh, benefit to having constraints. Thank you, I was going to look her up. <laughs> I just um, sent, I just sent, uh, I just sent Vokani the, in the chat, Magat yeah. Wade. <laughs> She's incredible. Absolutely, can't wait, can't wait. Yeah. Oh, really, thank you, that's, um, I'm really honored. Um, that that's uh, what uh, you get from the work. That's exactly the point. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I respond to what's happening in the world and make work in the language that I think meets that um, experience. So, mm -hmm. you know, from the clay works in 2020 um, that I've then continued working in um, bringing in the abstraction to talk about how we think about love, because I think that has been very hijacked by Disney and rom-coms to mm -hmm. only exclusively mean romantic one-to-one -one love or one-to-many, <laughs> um, yes. but, you know, a romantic relationship as opposed to thinking about love in a political sense, which is kind of how I think about it in a more collectivist sense. Mm -hmm. um, so as I either read about um, something that's happening in the world, I think it can be very tempting to hide away 
and to not address some of the more challenging aspects of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that for me, the way that I'm an activist is by making the work. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, a, a post of it I'm working on at the moment is about people not leaving home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Because I think the way that people are talking about immigrants right now, um, especially in the UK, but also around the world, it's thoroughly terrifying. And it's we've also been here before. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I think this is the thing that I find really challenging is being born seven years after Zimbabwe's independence. My parents and my family grew up in colonial apartheid times in Zimbabwe. Mm. So this idea that this is so past is really it doesn't ring true at all and you know I read people like uh, Hannah Arendt you know who wrote the beginnings of totalitarianism or, or I'll um, read Rene Girard who talks about mimetic desire and the the way society scapegoats a group and uses that scapegoat group as sacrificial Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that we all band together and the way we band together is by excluding. And that's not a way that, that's not a society I want to live in at it's all. It's not, it's definitely not universal love, that's for sure. It's, it's separatism. All. Yeah, and, and love is and not separate. Love is uni- union. Not, nor is it dominant in any way, you know. And so part of what I'm, I'm working on in that new um, series of posters and billboards is is first of all saying no one is doing this for fun yes some people might be ambitious they want to go and live somewhere and do something with their lives that's different from that's not possible where they are at the moment but we have to think about why they're having to leave right so for me the climate crisis is such an important um it's the crisis of our generation. It's it's it, it's the determinant of so much of what happens from now on. And we see people leaving Senegal, which we mentioned earlier, because their villages already sea levels have risen so much that their homes are lost. Yes. And when I look at you know the climate discussions, people are talking about, oh, climate reparations, but they're talking about them as loans like sorry so you burn down my house then you ask me to take out an exorbitant loan from you to rebuild my house mm-hmm. under restrictions well you know i i have i i have my own political views about the united nations myself um mm. i'm not that much of a major fan it's sort of partly funded by bill and melinda gates who right. are highly questionable and yeah. um but, you know, it's also like from my own traveling as well and, and speaking to people, um, I also heard that in Pakistan this year, there were massive flash floods that occurred during a time that doesn't normally happen. You know, yeah. I've been traveling a lot um, as always and everywhere I've been has been extremely hot before the mm-hmm. summer months had even yeah. started. So there's clearly Mother Earth is saying you got to shape up or ship out. <laughs> you know and unfortunately the people being asked to ship out are again black and brown people but you know yeah. it's 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 falling disproportionately i mean the contribution in terms of so i i work as a climate campaigner um That's and amazing. 
yeah, I do that part time and it helps to, um, you know, it, it means I can make the work that I want to make. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's not to say I don't want representation, I absolutely do. I want the support to make this work and to take it to new levels. But I am making work that does question, well, if your money has come from mining, what does that mean? And, mm. you know, <laughs> it's come from oil and gas. I definitely don't want it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really... It's difficult though, isn't it? It's difficult how to continue to stay sovereign. Like just going back to Magat, for yeah. example, she set up this, she's like, okay, well, how can I get wealthy? You know, I've had yeah. this exit. I'm no, I'm in the US. Um, yeah. And so how can I, how can I represent and be wealthy? And, mm. and and do it and have it and have wealth and yeah. um and she says that okay she set up this uh beauty line and it was picked up by whole foods which is of a high mm. level and uh of course the materials the ingredients that she needs come from senegal yeah. and but if you're being heavily taxed on it yeah uh, at, you know the border mm. how is she able to make profit how is she able to yeah. make so of course there have you know that there's this question of like well how do I have to cut cut off these things therefore do I have to cut off my integrity in certain ways mm. too and it's like who is representing uh, multi diverse people you know yeah and and if we are doing it ourselves how can we continue to have that as a a long standing growth um, and it just seems that like the more uh, we collectively move forward um, there are so many steps back and I don't yeah. think we have enough time we don't have enough time to be wasting on these things especially with when it comes to the climate uh, conversations sure. about climate mm -hmm. yeah I think um, it's a really it's, it's a very real challenge um, because I recognize that I can make work um, and I can make work in the way that I do because of where I am, because of the economic advantages that I have. So, and again, in, in the mirror works, part of what I'm talking about in those is our complicity. But I do also think it's important to recognize ways in which in other movements, people have been co-opted. And for me, that's something that I need to be able to be held accountable to myself, to my integrity, but it's about making work within community and you know within a community of artists and of shared values where people can say, you know, I I don't think this is a good thing for you to be doing. You know, if I'm working with uh, mm -hmm. a fashion designer, for example, um, I have mm -hmm. a collaboration coming up with uh, a well-known designer, and I'm Amazing. I've admired their work for such a long time. But another part of why I really admire their work is because they they believe in slow fashion. We've been doing that for decades. You know, you everything is custom made for that individual person. And you know, the work that the, the, the clothes that aren't, there's a very limited number of them. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, I have, and again, we I think we have to think about different economic um, uh, paradigms and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I look at, I have like prints that I make. And again, I try to do that in the most sustainable way, but only to order. I have, you know, mobile phone covers because I think, oh, if your phone is protected, then you're less likely to replace it every year. Yeah. Um, but again, that's to order, you know, so I don't have like a hundred of these lying around. So I think about everything as much as I can to say, yes, I need to sustain myself and to sustain my practice. And where that line is, that 
always will require discernment. And, mm-hmm. and there are certain things that I will say no to. You know, I don't do speaking engagements of any companies where their business, as usual, is damaging or they've led, led to loss of life or led to mm-hmm. environmental degradation. And we will have to say no to things. And I think sometimes that isn't very popular with people. <laughs> like my unpopular opinion is like, no, you have to say no for certain things. And and I completely understand when people say, well, we've already sacrificed so much, of course. But I don't want to perpetuate existing systems by saying I now have to. I used to think, oh, this is why I ended up in the city, right? Like I thought I had to become a millionaire and then I could go and make a difference. But that's a way of, disempowering people so they don't realize mm-hmm. what power they already have without that wealth you know like <laughs> yes it allows you to scale and to work at a different level mm-hmm. but you already have the talent you're re- like it's all in you already so yeah absolutely um you know i've got my soul sister magali renee who was on high pay and and she um empowers and coaches leaders and brands uh to have confidence and compassion and Mm. it it always starts with the being aspect first then the doing and then the having um and she's you know she she's trained the um so-called executives of um the besos world you know and like all these big wigs um and it's amazing how how important that is and so how obvious it is but it's just not instilled in us um so you have a show at the moment do you not have you got an exhibition right now um not i literally had to think because october november was intense was that was that the fitzroy say the name yeah that was at the fitzroy chapel so that was just for yeah that was in a, a beautiful 19th century chapel and again, I was really specific about wanting to show these stained glass paintings, which spoke to, it was a site-specific installation. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to bring in the works that talk to um, my relationship with faith and these mm-hmm. as sort of um, commemorative works where I'd put in, you know, African masks, I'd put in gloves to talk to um, some of the extractive nature of industry and like the gold crosses again so all these different motifs each section of that show really spoke to how I think we start to think about reconciliation how we start to think about justice in a in a new climate and in a new environment um and yeah the the work that's coming up will be in a well-known uh, department store on Oxford Street with this designer. <laughs> so I can... I, you I can't, can't talk about it yet. Right but now, but literally... let maybe, us know. Yeah, yeah, I will. But I let will, us know about it. Well, do, you want to know fun, uh, do you want to know fun facts about Fitzrovia Chapel? No, yeah. It used to be a hospital. That's all I know about it, yeah. Well, I was born in that hospital, Middlesex Stop! Hospital. Stop! That yeah. is amazing. On the second floor, and the chapel yeah. used to be part of the hospital. Right, 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 right. Um, and I'm I'm a central London girl, born and raised yes. between central London and Italy. So I was, you oh, know, I'm one of the very few people that yes. was 
many people oh my born in London. I wish I wish mm. you'd been able to see it. I think you would have absolutely. I th- I think Cause... I was away at that time. I think I was in LA. Yeah, possibly. yeah, yeah. Um, but it's such a beautiful chapel, and so it's all gold oh, it's and like, ornate. It's tiny. It's like it's a cute and egg, but like in a building. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and that's part of the challenge. I think is artists we have to kind of push ourselves, and I really insisted yes. on that space. Because I think you want to see if your work stands up to 200-year-old beauty. And is, is it going to fall flat or be swallowed up or, you know, not. And and that was the sort of gamble until I literally had the show installed and I walked around it. And I was like, too late now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness it works. Yeah. And, but it's and, it's yeah. also like notions of Western beauty as well, which of course we can we can talk about. But right, it, it, in a way, it doesn't it doesn't really. I, I would say, uh, as as a as a colleague of yours, I don't think yeah. it really matters. You know, if your work is standing the test of time with in comparison to the beauty of the ages. You know, it 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 works because it works because yeah because it works it's just of a different time and you know we, we can talk about yeah. quantum physics on that too as well yeah no for sure and, I, and everything is I relative really, everything is I relative. really believe in like I want so like with the abstract paintings I want them to look like they all happened at once because I, I believe in a collapsible concept mm-hmm. of time so yes, the, yes, the mirror yes. paintings as the day moves on it's like you're looking at a different painting because the way the light hits it and the reflection <sighs> of shadows that they it's all these colored shadows that they throw out oh, again yeah. it's like over the day the whole painting changes and over the seasons it changes so I, I think for me these these ideas are important and and I really wrestle with that exact mm-hmm. idea that this is a very western view but I've grown up going to church and, you know, um, it, it's a very specific sp- space and place. Mm-hmm. And so re-educating myself about, oh, what's the next place that I want to see my work? You know, I have an idea for a show where I have these mirror pieces in a desert. My dad's side are from Kalanga people. My name mm-hmm. is in Kalanga. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, these colored mirrors rising out of the desert there's something very moving and important to me about that mm-hmm. is it something I realize in the next year or two maybe but it's going to happen at some point so I think of nature as a cathedral and so what does that mean when I'm putting work in that context so I'm really open um to really a, a much more expansive view of how we encounter art um, and what it can then do for us as a society. Yeah, there's um, there's actually, you sparked some things in my head. Um, there's an artist who reimagined the Sistine Chapel. I don't know if you've seen it recently. Yeah, She's, uh, not recently. It's, <laughs> I mean, online, it's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. I, I think, I can't remember what her name is, but I think she... Um, I can't remember her name but anyway she's she's made this amazing reimagination of the Sistine Chapel um and it's is this just the one where God is a black woman I think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly. like I love female that. empowerment yeah, 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 yeah I love that it's yeah absolutely yeah. amazing and and it's it's so great to have that visual dialogue yeah. um talking about um inspirational people who are your three inspirational people 
uh, people artists. <laughs> I know because I know you've got your auntie and your sister. Yeah, as well. that's exactly what I was going to go with first. You can add, you can add, you can add and my them sister. And and... Yeah, yeah, you get two. Yeah. So apart oh, from okay. them, of course. Um... Mm. <laughs> or even um, artists. Or... I'm really lucky. I get to meet um, really inspirational people um, through work. And there's a pastor in an indigenous community in Australia who's done oh, some right. incredible work campaigning. And oh. of course, I know him as Pastor God. Ray and I can't now remember his surname. This is so awful. That's okay. Um, but he's really inspiring to me. Um, and yeah, I, and I, I guess it, it will come from sort of people that I, I meet um, through, yeah, through my work in, in the climate space. Um, there's Rosamond as well, who lost her daughter to pollution, and she's the first person in the world who, on her death certificate, said she died of air pollution. Um, right. Um, and so she campaigns in London about air pollution here, but also specifically highlighting that these urban spaces that are mostly inhabited by Black migrant families, um have the highest pollutions um levels in in, in a city so um mm -hmm. i yeah i think people who are active for me are, are people who will be the most inspirational it's not it having having a bunch of things is never going to be a thing that really um or wealth in western capitalist terms yeah. is never going to really inspire me and then people that also work strategically and think at a system change level um mm -hmm. because we can all recycle you know plastic bottles and it's useful but we need to think about government change we need to think about big businesses changing so again um yeah and then yeah artists <laughs> i love like well you mentioned artist um who does his, you mentioned like, frank bowling as well didn't you love frank bowling love okay, theaster gates okay. um yeah no so i you know i spend my life like immersed in um mm. if i'm not making art i'm either listening to pods <laughs> so Yay. this is very exciting to me <laughs> i love adelaide who you've had on here oh, before dear. she's such a sweetheart um, and you know like, each other don't you yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i'm i'm a huge fan of her work as well so um yeah I mean I was in Venice for the Biennale so um you know seeing Sonia Boyce's pavilion oh my gosh F, amazing like, it was such an extraordinary and again I think that I'm always really lucky in terms of timing that I end up in the right place where there I'm meant go. to be at the right time well that's um, where so, spirit is is calling you into action and I listen witness. And I, <laughs> I listen I get that sense and I go right okay I'm gone <laughs> um <laughs> And I yeah, so meeting all these artists that were just like wandering around. I was like, oh my God, I love you. I love your work. <laughs> so I'm not very cool. I'm not like a very hip person. If I'm excited about something, I will tell you about it and I will show you all the love in the world. So I was just very, yeah, it was thrilling. 80% women in that Biennale, the Zimbabwe Pavilion. I was so wow. proud, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was extraordinary. And I, you know, met people like Lavaina Hamid and she you know she'll tell you like oh artists can change the world yeah and 
they're people who've been active and mm. and not just making work that yeah is beautiful to look at but is work that has uh, an impact in the world absolutely i mean you know um i'm sure if you've listened to uh one of the episodes with christina o'hanlon she's um talks and supports um she talks about a lot of the um, UAE artists and yeah. has this art residency in Soho Square in London where she's really mainly supporting a lot of UAE artists and she's based in in um, Abu Dhabi. Um, Ooh, there's like two friends that I want to put uh, yeah. in. One of my yeah, classmates I think you, and you two probably of my know, Yeah, Amazing. You probably know each other or met each other at the Venice Biennale. Yeah. She was heavily involved yeah. in that. Um, I mean, it was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, I can put you in touch if you like. Um, and then what would you offer the high pay listeners just in life or in the art world? Three tips and tricks. Um, first one is DM people. I mean... Slide I, into those DMs, mate. Slide into the DMs. <laughs> like, don't be shy. Like, I slid, I slid into your DM, actually. You did. And look where we are now. So... Um, I really not in a creepy way though no in a respectful way and yeah. you know um in a way that allows for the other person to respond if they like and don't spam people um that's yeah. probably tip two <laughs> um three is you know everyone talks about like focus on the work focus on the work and I do think making work that inspires you um that pushes you um and for me it's like does it does it speak to uh, now, but what what will it be in 200 years? And mm -hmm. for me, that, that gives me perspective. So I don't get annoyed about some small thing not working out next week because I'm here for a very long time. Uh, at least I'm here to make work that's here for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, get in touch, please. Like, follow <laughs> on Instagram. You'll see what I'm up to. And, and where can um, the high pay listeners find you on Insta? And online. At, at Bokani. So at B-O-K-A-N-I. I did manage to get that. So <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah. So I'm always really keen to hear from people who you now know what I care about. If you're doing a show that's to do with that, um, please, yeah, drop me a note. I'd be really keen. Um, yeah, I think it's important to build a, a community. So absolutely and that's that's why we've got high pay here and then just last but not least what would be your word or words of wisdom to the high pay listeners love generously I love Beautiful. that <laughs> I just love generously and I think that's it yeah gorgeous well thank you so much Bokani thank you so much thank for coming you. thanks for having me such a pleasure I'm sure I'll see you in London yes yes <laughs> So, I'll be sending you lots of invites. <laughs> I'm said I'm not spamming anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me yeah. know and I'll, I'll come up to London because I'm I'm away from the pollution that is London. Yeah, I'm, I'm living in the countryside for a reason now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so that's it. That's it in this episode. We hope you liked the episodes on high pay. Let us know. DM us. Slide into our DMs. And um, yeah, follow us on Apple Music or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. We'll be back with another exciting episode next Thursday, along with maybe even a bonus episode just to get you through the winter blues. All right. Take care and bye for now.